everyone, this is the very first episode of the Fragments podcast. Just to remind you, in every episode we will be talking to participants of Fragments project about drama pieces they wrote over a period of several weeks. We will talk about stories behind each piece and discuss potential sound design for every dialogue or poetry or other drama pieces. Today we'll talk about Mary's piece called Violent Bureaucracy, and it also has a second title, which is Brown Envelope. Mary, I have a lot of questions about your dialogue and about the sound design for it, but before we start, I'd like to ask everyone who is here with us today to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Barthi, and um, just to say that I am stressed mother of a teen. <laughs> um, I've just written a book, uh, my memoir, it's called Worth, and it's a story about me being adopted. Um, uh, I was born in Uganda, I was found abandoned on the roadside, and then I was subsequently adopted by an Asian family. So I'm of dual heritage, I'm part African, part Asian, My memoir, which is called Worth, is about the story of my adoption, the racism then, the sexism in the 60s, as well as uh, the prejudicial attitudes towards um, illegitimate children. And then it just um, talks about my story of getting a skin condition called EB, epidermisis bullosa, and then lupus in my teens. So, yeah, it's essentially a story about worth. Things that bring our self-worth down, things that bring our self-worth up. And I hope that people will find it inspirational. There are some hard bits in it, but there are also, hopefully, some funny bits in it too. So thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Mary Joan Pierino. I'm a South Sudanese. I came to this country in 1988. And since then, I haven't been back home to South Sudan yet. And I'm looking forward to go home. There is a lot of troubles. There is a lot of uh, health issues due to um, a problem with people not working properly or employing uh, people that are not really qualified to do the jobs uh, due to uh, tribalism or or nepotism in the country and i hope soon that people will be working together and employ the right people to do the jobs so our country will go forward and we have a better generation to come uh thank you so much yeah my name's mary mary cross i was also born in east africa i was born with a significant and rare impairment. Um, first year, I was brought back here, um, and I've lived in England basically ever since. And I've been a disability campaigner forever. <laughs> I have twins who uh, are mixed race, mixed heritage, and we are all poets. My dad was an amateur poet. I've been an amateur poet. The twins are both performance poets. And we've got an anthology coming out very shortly called Apricot Toast. 
Oh, Mary, that sounds really exciting. I can't wait for it to be published so we all can read it. it sounds great. So everyone here has read Mary's piece and my first question is to everyone. What did you think about it? Can you relate to any parts of it? Was it something you encountered in your life as well? I think it's a very powerful piece. It's a very emotional piece, actually. It shows uh, the stress that people are under when they are subject to questions from bureaucracy and how even just a brown envelope coming through the door can raise that level of stress. It's a sort of piece that can apply to any situation, people who are in debt and the dread they feel when the brown envelope comes through the door. You know, the, this in this case, it's the Department of Work and Pensions. So, um, yeah. Thank you, Barty. I agree with many things which you said. Joanne, what were your first impressions? My first impression, this story represents myself in a lot of different ways. Since I came to this country in 1988, I've been working tirelessly until I got ill in um, 2008. Uh, before 2008, I've never had a brown envelope, so I don't know anything about it. So I've been in and out of hospital for nearly a year. Due to that problem that I've been in hospital, I haven't cleared most of my bills. So coming out of hospital, then I was met with these brown envelopes. And some of them inside the letter is written with a red pen or red ink. So it was really disturbing to me as well. So from there, it's just like a phobia, just having all these letters coming through my uh, letterbox until I managed to clear all the, the bills. Then it stopped for a while, but uh, just every year before April, then you get all these letters again from, you know, because I don't work anymore, uh, do get some help after I finish all my, um, lump sum from my pension so my money's gone drastically down so i've been getting these letters although sometimes it's a positive things inside it it's still that uh first impression that these brown envelopes are really not a good envelopes or good letters so it's a disturbing letters so yeah so that's my impression about the brown envelope and about this story. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't have much experience with um, any kind of envelopes and letters. Mostly it's because I was squatting most of my time in the UK. And, you know, when you squat, you don't really have a permanent address. So I was using my friend's address to receive important letters and of course, all of them were letters from the government or from um, home office. Uh, so for me, receiving a letter has always been something um, not really positive. It always meant that there are some news which probably I'm not going to like. It is different now because I do have a home address and 
I receive quite a few letters and some of them are from my friends. And it's a very nice feeling, I can say. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, for me, I know I, there was a period of time when um, I was in debt and I used to dread the bills coming through <laughs> to the point that I didn't even used to open the envelopes. But uh, no, now I don't have that sort of stress. I, but I can relate to that feeling of dread and stress, wondering what the next letter is going to say. I've been fortunate enough not to have any dealings with the benefit system, but my mum, when we came as uh, refugees from Uganda in 72, yeah, I remember a lot of those letters coming through, sometimes saying she wasn't entitled, sometimes saying she had to come in for an interview. So she would get very stressed about it. Yeah, and uh, I remember once we got a letter and uh, one of the people had followed her. They'd followed her on the bus all the way to Marks and Spencer's. And then she got a letter saying, oh, you were observed buying this, this, this from Marks and Spencer's and you didn't, we give you this much benefit. Where did you get that extra money from? So, yeah, that was very stressful because then you added that not only did you have the brown envelope and what the letters might say, but then you also had the stress of well, who was following you wherever you went and totaling up your money and trying to work out whether you're entitled and, you know, where did you get your extra money from? And I guess it's very similar to people with disabilities because you are sometimes recorded in terms of what you're doing in your garden or walking, and then you're being told, but you were seen walking or you were seen doing this. And so you cannot be as disabled as you say you are. So it sort of resonates, that brown envelope resonates a lot with people, I think. So can I, can I say a bit more, um, really picking up on that last point, uh, because it's, it's, uh, an almost an everyday experience of lots of disabled people for somebody to question you as to whether you know you are as disabled as you say you are whether you're as in in as much pain as you say you are whether you you know why you can't do this or why you can do this you know <laughs> it's constant so, you know, that's difficult in itself and it's humiliating in itself. But then when the world of officialdom starts doing that to you, it, it goes from humiliating and stressful to terrifying. And especially when you know that the people who are in charge of deciding these things, haven't got the first clue about your lived experience. It, you know, becomes really surreal, but in the worst way. It's nightmarish. Mary, thank you for sharing this. Yeah, that sounds horrible. I don't think anyone deserves to have experience like that. Um... So what do you think can be done to make this situation better? I know it's a big question, but um, maybe there are some 
small things, you know, small changes which can actually have a big influence on the way how people are being treated. For me, is uh, these people have to be taught awareness, you know, awareness about the people that they're really uh, saying that uh, you're getting this money free. I did a care job uh, before I got ill. I worked for Reading Borough Council, actually. The people that I was looking after them, most of them are elderly, uh, most of them are disabled, and before they becoming elderly or disabled, these people used to work. So they put so much money in this um, kitty, I will say it, kitty. So it's just like when you get ill or you get old, what you put in the system, the system should be looking after you with that money and they should be aware of that. For like um, my case, I used to work between 8 to, to 14 hours. So, because if I needed something, I'll just go and buy it. So now I have to like uh, make sure I buy the essential because that money will not take me far. So this is really humiliating. They need to be aware of what they're doing to people psychological because like in my case, now I don't ask them for anything. Even I have a, a lady, disabled lady, we used to go to a meeting Sadly, she died. She said, oh, Mary, you're entitled for this. You're entitled for this. I said, no, I can't go to these people. You go to them, it feels like you're going to dig your grandmother out of the, you know, the grave to explain to them that I'm telling you the truth. Most of these things I don't, I, I, I don't really get because I don't apply for it. I don't want the humiliation. I really rather have my dignity than being humiliated with somebody that doesn't know me. So for me, I really rather them, you know, to respect the, these people. The elderly people, they start work in age of 13. I read their stories, I've seen them. They are the ones that really brought this peace in this country. Even me that I'm living peacefully in this country because of these elderly people that they don't respect anymore. You know, I, I don't think it's fair. I do want to say because you know, I've been dependent on some sort of government help my whole adult life. It used to be so much gentler, so much more rational, and so much more kind. It wasn't perfect, but you get the sense, the strong sense for the last, I would say, 15 years or so, that the intention is to get rid of the whole welfare system and you with it. <laughs> and so, you know, even if we're not talking about changing the entire political system, there is a more humane and rational way of doing these things that would not lead to so much terror. It goes back to what uh, Mary and Joanne were saying, that it's just about the officials. I get it that they have to ask questions, but and I get it that they, they have to check. But for me, that level of humanity and compassion and empathy has gone. And it's uh, that uh, inherent view that everybody that comes through the door has to be viewed with suspicion. 
there is an agenda. The agenda is let's get rid of the welfare state. But in the meantime, what they're doing is so cruel. And it's about revisiting those values of compassion and empathy and actually saying, let's start from the premise that this person's entitled to it, as opposed to this person is not entitled to it. And therefore, we're going to do our best to trip this person up to make sure that the slightest discrepancy is going to make us pounce on that person and make them feel that they're not entitled to this and they've been lying or trying to uh, dupe the system. So I think that's where we are now. We don't; They don't come in from a place of empathy, compassion, and this person's actually entitled to it. And it's almost like that sort of uh, an analogy of you're guilty before you're, you know, you're, you're already guilty and you have to prove you're not guilty. So it should be, you know what, you're entitled to it. Yeah. Let's reframe our questions in a way to show us that you're entitled to it, as opposed to you're not entitled to it. And therefore, we're going to do our best to make sure that we actually catch you out on this. So I think that's essentially it for me. I, I just need to add that uh, that the assessors were and probably are still paid for the numbers of people they throw off the benefit system. They get a bonus. That completely destroys any empathy. I run a, a group of disabled people which centered around campaigning, but it feels to me like the whole thing of supporting each other constantly is as important as the campaigning. And the group is amazing at doing that. Yes, I think solidarity and everyone supporting each other is just so crucial and sometimes the most important thing. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for sharing and for having this conversation. Um, of course, there's so much more to say about it. But let's move to the second part of our conversation and let's talk about the soundscape and sound design for this piece. Some time ago, I asked everyone to think about different sounds which can be added to this piece. It can be sounds which give us some information about the location or the time of the day. It can be sounds which emphasize the emotional state of the character. It can be many different things. But the main idea is that we want to include some sounds which will make this piece sound richer, deeper, I guess. So let's brainstorm and see what can be done with these ideas. Mary, do you want to start? So I, I thought, you know, at the beginning, if we just had a very domestic little scene, a very ordinary something, so... Um, we've got Mariam probably in the kitchen, you know, making herself a cup of tea. And to give the sense of this being a disabled person getting to the door to pick up the 
sorry, there's the sound of the letterbox going, but then to give the sense of disabled person, it was like a chair being scraped back and metal crutches clanking slowly across the floor. I have such a loathing of the clanking that metal crutches make. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, if we're talking about a soundscape, there isn't a particularly helpful sound for a wheelchair going to the door. So the metal clanking was the best I could come up with to just create an expectation right at the very beginning that it was a disabled person we were talking about. Yeah. She's in the kitchen. I'm just wondering whether... You could have the sound of the kettle going in the background. She was making herself a cup of tea, wasn't she? When the brown envelope arrived. Yeah. I think it's the stress sound. Like you're always stressed. Uh, you're dropping things, you know. You want to pick something without actually looking. Um, or, you know, you pick up a cup of tea and you want to put it down but your mind is somewhere not putting it right in the middle of the table on the maybe on the tip of the table ending up dropping that cup of tea with the whole tea and just hearing the cup uh, breaking you know to pieces yeah this is that's how uh, uh, you know i feel about all this you know it's, it's the stress sounds and dropping things or breaking things Absolutely. Dog barking, just in the background, sort of like faded in the background, isn't it? It's not, it's not normal inside your house because you're, you're terrified and you're panicked, but outside the world is carrying on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, what about sounds which can help us to understand if this house is in the countryside or in the city? Uh, definitely be a council estate. Certainly the traffic sounds, because that fits with, you know, being on a council estate uh, anyway. It doesn't, it wouldn't jar with the kind of scene that we're setting. It all, you know, that feels familiar to me. And what about music? Is there going to be any music at all in the beginning or in the end or throughout the piece? What do you think? I mean, musically speaking, they'll always use a high-pitched something, won't they? I mean, that the, the perfect example was from... Uh, which horror film was it where someone gets stabbed in the shower and you go, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I wouldn't want it to be too loud if we did use something like that. But um, that kind of very tense music or heartbeat. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, because, oh, that would be an idea because you're, you know, you the heartbeat would be perfectly steady going to the letterbox, but then as soon as you see the brown envelope, it would increase in speed. And then she's panicking anyway. She's breathing really heavily and she's panicking. She's trying to get pour out the cup of tea, but then she 
somehow knocks a cup over as well. And then she goes for the mobile phone. You know, I used to have a radio program all on disability issues. And I always played that lovely Shifri song, you know, that starts the higher you build your barriers, uh, the taller I become. And, and it's such a statement of inner strength uh, in the face of oppression that unless we heard that at the end, you know, to just say, you know, it would just back up the whole idea of Rebecca coming round to support Mariam and, and with some hope and strength. Yeah, at the very end, to show that the piece has ended now, that song could add to the power of the piece, yeah. I've got a different, maybe, opinion. Um, I'm thinking, like, if it's my in my case, sometimes I feel like I wanted to listen to music when I'm really feeling down. So like at the beginning, I don't listen to the radio. I listen to the radio a lot, actually. And but sometimes I'll just switch everything off and then I'll put some music that will really make me happy. So and then this letter comes and then wipe my happiness away and then the music stops, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the, I'm thinking at the beginning. You know, I, last night I was thinking about all of this and thinking, oh, it's a shame that you can't introduce smells. <laughs> yeah, totally. The sense of smell is such a powerful tool for storytelling. Um, I wish as well we could introduce it here. But the audio, that's all we have. Well, thank you everyone for participating in this conversation. That was great. I know that thinking about sound is not something we normally do. So I do appreciate your effort and thank you for your ideas. Um, it's great. So now let's read Mary's piece and I'll try my best to put most of the sounds you mentioned to the piece. And I hope it will work the way how you expected it to work. Okay, let's listen to it. Exciting! God. Oh no.
Uh, a brown envelope just arrived. I can't. I can't open it. I can't. Hi, my friend. I understand. Do you want me to come round? What if they're going to drag me back there, Bex? I can't go through it again. They said I had two years ESA. But it's only nine months since I won my appeal. Mariam, love, they have been doing that to some folks. But it may be something else. You never know with the department for wetless and pushes. I can't face it, Bex. I had to manage on a bus and train to get there last time and they forgot to help me off the train and if I hadn't thrown my crutches off the train and yelled... Oh, I remember. And when you finally got there, during the reception, make sure everyone in the waiting room heard her telling you off for being 10 minutes late. Yeah. And then they kept me waiting two and a half hours. No, no, no. Those people are as cold as ice. They don't even look at you. Just ask their stupid questions. Which you have already answered. Yes. And look at the screens as they type in their lies. Oh, they just make up stuff, Bex. And you remember your friend whose first language wasn't English? and they made him sign agreements he didn't understand, then they sanctioned him for not doing those things. Listen, I'm coming round. You can't open that damn envelope on your own. I will be with you in 15 minutes, okay? Oh, thanks, Bex. Thank you. Thank you. You better bring a box of tissues with you, though. <laughs> said I can't act. <laughs> you can. 
<laughs> it was brilliant. Well done, Sean, as well. Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> You're very good. You're very good. You're a very calming friend to come around. <laughs> yeah. I don't quite move. That was interesting. I wrote it. 